Hello, welcome to episode 16 of the Karma Sense Foodcast. I'm Davey H, and this is the Bug Episode. sure that amongst all us mugs, I'm the only one who has bugs on me today. Well, me and my guest chef Don Peavy, an entomophagist who with his new web series Bugging Out and an upcoming school roadshow, is spreading the word on why we shouldn't just have bugs on us, we should have bugs in us. Get in my belly! What's an entomophagist, you ask? It's a person who eats the eggs, pupa, larva, and adult version of insects. It's a practice that's been around since prehistoric times. That's right, it's paleo. And it's still practiced in much of the world. But in sophisticated societies like ours, where pussy grabbing gets you elected, it's taboo. We'll explore that with Chef Peavy and get an understanding on how entomophagy makes karma sense. Then I'll work my way through a variety of edible insect offerings and let you know how they work out for me. By the end, you'll have the information you need to know whether this is something you want to get used to now or delay until all rules of social order completely break down. But first, a rant. Why are bugs taboo? Well, they're pests. They infest our homes and they eat our crops. We spend billions of dollars on pesticides to get rid of them. Then, we spend billions more to spread and fertilize seeds when bugs could have done the jobs for us. Bugs are unsanitary. And it's true, many insects are drawn of filthy conditions. But have you checked out what your dog eats when left to his or her own devices? And I know most of us don't eat dogs, but we do eat chickens, who I still say are assholes. And we eat pigs and sea creatures that are drawn to some pretty disgusting conditions. But we clean them out and we cook them and all's right with the world. I think we don't like bugs because left unchecked, they'll overwhelm our environment. Kind of like Beanie Babies at the end of the last century. Over time, this constant battle has us at war. And one of the casualties of that war has been a loss of appreciation of the benefits provided by bugs. But, you say, sure, bugs are beneficial, but that doesn't mean I need to eat them. One of the benefits of living in rich society is I can avoid eating foods I feel are beneath me. Well, let me tell you a story about another food people felt that way about. Fourteen score and seventy years ago, our forefathers brought forth bucketfuls of pests in their attempt to capture food. The pest was so plentiful that it quickly became food for pigs, cows, cats, and were often used for fertilizer. Eventually, people realized that this stuff could be used to feed prisoners, slaves, and indentured servants. The indentured servants of the Massachusetts colony got so fed up with it that they actually took their masters to court over the matter. The judge ruled in the servants' favor and directed their masters to limit feedings of this food to three times per week. Fast forward a few hundred years and managers of the ever-growing railroads figured out that if they bill this food as a delicacy to their less sophisticated customers who recently struck it rich through gold mining, ranching, or the Industrial Revolution, they could serve it at an amazing markup. As the 20th century marched on, this food went from being pest and trash to being one of the most expensive items on a restaurant menu. And do you know what this item was? Do you? It was Mitch Kumstein, my roommate. He's a good guy. And that, my friends, was a solid Caddyshack reference. But the real answer, as you probably already figured out, is lobster. The most expensive food we eat that, by the way, looks like a giant bug. So there is a precedent for this kind of mind shift. 
but is that enough to spark your curiosity? Big food companies think so. While the market for edible insects is currently small, it's only about $33 million worldwide last year, they expect it to double every two years before it takes off in the mid-2020s, with most of the demand coming from, you guessed it, the United States. But just because big food company thinks it, does it mean you'll buy it? Well, new coke aside, big food has an amazing track record when it comes to self-fulfilling prophecies. How else do you explain the cult status of the McRib sandwich, which no doubt is a legit 1-5% to bug parts? Big food feels this way because bugs are low-hanging fruit when it comes to sustainability, cost, nutrient density, and so on. I don't want to steal Chef PV's thunder and bloviate about bugs' benefits now, but they are there. And if you still think you're going to resist because, well, they're bugs and they'll taste nasty, just remember that Big Food figured out how to make packing material taste like cheese. You can buy tasteless potato flour stacked in a can that tastes like prime rib with all the trimmings. And they made Oreos that taste like Swedish fish, for God's sake. And all those have more insect parts and mouse poop in them than you care to think about. So come on, my friends. You're well on your way down this slippery slope. Enjoy the ride. I'm so excited to have with me Jeff Don Peavy, an accomplished chef, celebrity entomophagist, and the host of the new web series, Buggin' Out. As Foodcast listeners know, I've had a bug up my you-know-what about edible insects, and Chef Peavy is here to help people like me who are fly-curious learn more about entomophagy. Chef Peavy, thanks for being on the Foodcast. <laughs> I love that introduction. Thank you so much. Why don't you start off telling us your background, how you got interested in food, and then your path specifically to entomophagy. Sure. Well, I am a Texan who moved to New York City to pursue um, all the dreams kind of New York City provokes outside of Wall Street, of course. Um, but film and television, modeling, that kind of thing. So I went to School of Visual Arts and worked in theater and film. Around 2004, I happened to bump into a friend. We produced a musical based on Pilates for a year. We got backing for it. For a year, I was doing Pilates, training to actually be in the show, and it totally changed my diet to a raw vegan diet, just naturally. I came to uh, only be capable of eating raw vegan foods. So I did that for about six years. Meantime, I was working in uh, film and television again, and by the end of my stint in the TV world, I uh, kind of at a place where I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. A cafe I would work out of was hiring a chef, and I applied. I started at the cafe, and it was in Williamsburg, which is like hipster central of the world. And from there, that led me to think maybe the food industry is an industry I would like to be in because I got that just a great feeling from, you know, uh, the reactions of people. So a raw food restaurant opened in Williamsburg and I became a chef there. And around that time, Frank came and visited me and, and, you know, we had been talking about my career and what I wanted to do. And I said, well, I really want to work in food, but I can't see myself working in a restaurant. It's just, I mean, I can't just go to the same place every day. You know, even if I love people, I don't want to see the same people every single day. So I said, I just need some other options 
And she hooked me up with a catering company where I got access to become a private chef. My rise, if you want to call it that, in the chef world happened quickly as far as getting like really awesome jobs quickly just because around the time that I decided I wanted to uh, work in the food industry, that's when people were really becoming concerned with gluten and meat production, and this is already a way of eating I was doing. From there, I was in positions where I was managing real chefs, and you know, they were just using a vocabulary that I wasn't used to, so it felt like, especially if, it, if I was in a managerial role, that I needed to at least be able to speak the language. So there was this awesome town called Asbury Park, it's in New Jersey, and I decided to enroll in their culinary education program uh, through Brookdale, which is a two-year program, probably one of the best. And after I graduated from there, I did a BBC reality show, a BBC America reality show for Jamie Oliver called Chef Race UK versus US. But there was one point at the end of 2014 where I said, okay, I'm having all these great experiences, but what do I want to do in food? So I started researching sustainable agriculture. And pretty early on in that research, I came across this 200, 201-page document written by the United Nations called Edible Insects, the Future of Feed and Food Security in the World or something like that. It's Edible Insects something something. So... I read that, and I just never knew you could eat bugs. It was exciting. That's where we are now. I found out about eating insects and tapped into the top figures in it very quickly. I just reached out to them. I was interested. They wrote me back, started a dialogue with them, and, and maybe just a few months after that, I was trying to uh, rear my own waxworm. I got my own aquarium until I knocked it over one day doing some yoga in my room. And my friend contacted me and said he had an opportunity to produce original content and asked if we could meet and talk about some ideas he had. And so we met, and after he told me what he wanted to do. I was like, oh, those shows sound great. And then he was like, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I started cooking bugs. And I just, for, I mean, you think I'm talking a lot now? I just started telling him everything I knew, which was a lot. Because You're passionate I just, about it. From the moment I saw you could eat it, I was just like everywhere. And he came back to me the next day. He goes, they don't actually want to do the shows I want. I told you about. They want to do a show about eating insects. So that's really set me up to be able to interview people and to really, you know, I've gone to conferences and just to get to know uh, more people. This industry is growing. So it's really excited to see that from the end of 2014 when I was searching for things and there were a few products and they're all coming from Thailand or London. And now there's media I'm just, if not daily, weekly, about edible insects. You know, we're about to go on our bugging out tour, and I'm going to start a bug farm. I mean, there's a lot of, I just made this recipe last night with some leftover roaches that I had in the freezer. I said, oh, what am I going to do with this? And I said, they've been in the freezer forever, so the only thing that they probably would give it 
some kind of benefit for flavor would be to create a broth with it or a tea is exactly what I was thinking, but it, it makes a great tea and a great broth. And now I'm researching the medicinal benefits of it because I felt a lot of amazing things happen after drinking like half a quart of roach tea. So what did it taste like? Well, you were correct. I saw your post and it was, well, first of all, just I had it in the kitchen. I took all the rest of the roaches I had, which is probably about, they were adults, maybe two and a half inches each. And I had about 50 of them. And I added a quart and a half of water and I simmered them. Uh, and I put them, I just, in my head said I was going to simmer them for 30 minutes just to give a time, you know, and I would add time if I needed to. And within like 10 or 15 minutes, just the smell, when you said umami, I was like, the smell is just like umami heaven. It's like if you found a store that said umami heaven and you walked in and you had, and the smell was there, you would be like, yes, this is umami heaven. So it was like a mushroom forest of just multiple hints of the various mushrooms that, I mean, I haven't, I love mushrooms. I love, um, I love Japanese food and Japanese food has great reliance on umami or at least a consciousness of it. Cause a lot of food has a reliance on it, but you know, they really know about it and try to impart it in, in various ways like with miso and tofu and stuff. So definitely you also helped me think about the fact that it, um, I had some left over. So later in the evening I made, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna try to make a soup. So I just chopped up some onions and threw them in there. And it was just like a, a simple miso soup. So the smell was overwhelmingly like delicious. Okay. So I think the most people, if they were going to start getting into trying, uh, insects roaches would probably be one that they'd have a visceral negative reaction to but it sounds like the roach tea is probably not a bad gateway into it it tastes like something that people are already used to to eating and they're not seeing the the roaches or anything like that uh, what other suggestions would you have for people who are trying to get over the ick factor of edible insects there's a lot that people can do to open their minds However, what I'm specifically doing is we've created the show. So that was a, that's an attempt to actually begin the process of exposing people to this way of eating. And the show is actually an exploration. So, you know, when we're cooking with the insects, when we began, I was trying to research everything about handling them because I didn't know. And I was like, maybe we should get someone to help us. And they're like, you know, we're trying to bring the viewer on a journey of us not knowing everything either. And so that's really the purpose of the show is to start opening people up to what it's all about. Next up is the Bugging Out School Tour because kids have pliable minds. You know, they had a lot of uh, young people there. I mean, as we're building the curriculum, I'm being told like the different ages and kind of like how we can approach this age group with the information and what examples we'll have for them because everyone's at a different stage. I feel like my job in kind of the entomophagy movement right now is to be a figurehead for the movement to be someone who can get people excited about it because there's lots of scientists working on it and lots of amazing people who are creating products. Um, and now we just, you know, need 
an advocate for it, you know, yeah. kind of like Oprah was an advocate for people expressing their real true feelings, you know? Right. So that's kind of what I think it's going to take for people to get over the X factor because the X factor is something that, um, we're, that it's a, a system of perceptions that are taught to us and it's everywhere in how we treat our food systems which are being destroyed by trying to kill insects. So, you know, you have these pesticides that are being poured on our crops, and that's really what's causing the demand for organic purge, uh, I'm sorry, organic food. That's kind of like an initial backlash to that, but there's all other kinds of things happening with the food system as well. But a lot of it is to rid us of insects. But I think we need to reconsider what insects actually do in society and that's an education people need to start having that I think edible bugs provides is not only just eating these things for protein but also knowing that beyond protein we have beyond eating these insects have a value to our entire way of life as far as pollinating plants and providing food for other animals and decomposing matter back into usable soil for plants, you know, like the circle of life, (laughs) you know, they're really at the forefront. They're at the forefront of all the processes that really make the world run bugs. Okay. So your answer to the question, if I summarize is uh, it's exposure, it's education, it's teaching people the benefits of eating it and you're leveraging your experience in the performing arts uh, as well as your long and rich experience in cooking, uh, to present it in an entertaining way. Yes, because that is a mandate. That is, that is something that I, I read in this document saying we really need politicians and media personalities and teachers and food industry professionals, people who are you know on the ground to start talking to people about this because this is something we really want to try and get into the food system because 80% of the world is already doing it. So it's a good place to start as far as food scarcity and food security and a bunch of, you know, uh, environmental issues come in. So we need people on the bandwagon. Yes, exactly. Okay. So uh, if uh, someone is interested in getting uh, uh, on the bandwagon, what what are some good ways for them to get exposed? Where could they find good sources for... for insects to try, what, what would be your suggestion there? So my first suggestion would be to look up a nice company called Little Herds. Little Herds is our educational partner, www.littleherds.org. They are an educational nonprofit based in Austin, Texas. Uh, their mission is to teach teach the next generation about insects as efficient and as delicious as well. They are the, well, Robert Nathan Allen, who runs the organization, he really has a bird's eye view, I guess, of all that's happening in the entomophagy world. Like he's talking with everyone. He's on top of everyone. They they give him the information and he just has a wealth of information on that website about what's happening on the front of entomophagy as food for humans and also as waste converters and feed for our 
traditional livestock like chicken and pigs and cows and stuff like that. So I would go to littlehurts.com and they also have access to information about where you can get things. There's things that, you know, I cook for dinner parties and stuff, people who are adventurous that, that little herds probably won't be on there uh, just because, you know, they are, um, we're all trying to get this out there, that information out there. And some of these things, like you said, like the cockroaches or whatever, wouldn't be something that would be on the little herds yeah. website. You know, it would be more like crickets and uh, pastas and, you know, all the good stuff that people need to can, you know, the gateway bugs. Gateway bugs. Definitely. Okay. So uh, in, in your exploration here, what are some of your favorite things to eat? So on the show, we actually tempura fried roaches. I, I hate to stay on the roaches, but like for me, everyone's on the crickets right now, and I get it. I mean, they're an easy bug to get into. Unique flavor profile of something that is totally delicious and that you that would make someone say, oh, my God, this is amazing. I think it's roaches. So for me, it's exciting because no one's really trying to develop anything with roaches. So, you know, that gives me a little time to <laughs> try to come up with something. Next up, I would say, or just on the same level as roaches, maybe a little higher, actually, are scorpion. We did them on the show. I didn't know what to expect about how they tasted. I didn't even really think they were going to cook through and be crispy, but they were. They did and they were. And it was like the best fried chicken exterior. And then once you got to the body, it was it was like a soft shelled crab just melting in my mouth. Amazingness. It was just like the sea opening up to me, but in, in a scorpion. So scorpions come in different sizes. So about how big are these scorpions? And then my follow-up question so the, on that is about the toxicity. Any, how, how does that affect a human, if at all? So these were about three inches from claw to tail. They are desert hairy scorpions. Okay. They do have poison in the tip. You should cut off the stinger. That's what we teach on the show. Um, but I also actually sucked the venom out of the stinger just because from what I had researched, that small of an insect and, and the, the, the makeup, the chemical makeup of it, poison, which I can't remember right now, but they said who would be susceptible to it. And I didn't, I wasn't susceptible to those things, although uh, I'm sure I could have been susceptible to something else that they didn't mention, but it turned out I wasn't. Uh, my... Tip, tip, tip of my tongue maybe felt like it got a little numb, but I don't know if that was me trying to stick my tongue in the little hole also, and it just got a little sore. Uh -huh. And, you know, you fry it so as to denature the remaining poison that might be in the, the joint that connects the stinger with the tail and the rest of the body. Okay. And these, so, but these were substantial scorpions. These weren't these little one-inch... Uh... Georgia. Oh, no. Oh, no. You would tell, I mean, when serving people, you, I mean, you just have to take these things into consideration. These were succulent, very satisfying, uh, two-bite scorpions, for sure. Okay. All right. What's, uh, what's uh, surprised you the most as you've gotten into this exploration? What's recently surprised me is a friend of mine who I... I'm not, I don't want to say convert it to veganism, but who was inspired by a lot of what I would post as a raw vegan and kind of my support for 
the vegan world and animal rights. Um, I went to meet a friend just this past Sunday and the bartender behind there, I went over to say, hey, as usual, and he's like always so happy to see me. And I walked over to him and he called me a murderer. And I, I mean, he yelled it out in the, in the whole place. Nice so friend. Just, it was, I looked around and I was laughing because I was like, what? I didn't understand what he was talking about at first. I just didn't get it. And, you know, he jokes around a lot. So I just went in to like, you know, give him the hug. And he was like, I'm serious. I'm serious. This is not funny. What you're doing, he goes, I can't get on board with it. And I was really shocked at his response. I was really shocked. So people's response has been shocking to me, like in my, within my own circle, because it just seems, I mean, it's not overwhelming, but just a couple of people who have really shown a lack of majors who've like been vocal about being totally against this <laughs> it's, it's shocking to me because i don't understand what it's such a harsh dogmatic stance i feel that they're yeah. taking and as opposed to kind of my open-hearted like yeah i'm not saying we should all like only eat bugs but i think that even just ex the exploration of it is somehow affecting them in some way so i, I don't know what that is that's you know everyone is yeah, a different person that's... so that's been surprising the laws and kind of like the reasons why it's difficult to get insects here like i have clients private clients who want to do insect dinners and have certain things and it you know i'm like well if you really want this you're gonna have to fly me here and i'm gonna have to bring it back over the border right. <laughs> you know in a car <laughs> like this is how it happens this is how people get these things here because they won't allow you for probably some good reason but there are ways to get insects to travel in a safe way but you know sometimes people are paranoid but just for my party i had these two guys who are making amazing products they're called one hop kitchen and they make products that are more accessible to the average consumer. They're, they're creating like the gateway product, the gateway bug product line. So at my launch show a couple of weeks ago, I served their cricket bolognese sauce, which is delicious. And they came into town the week before, you know, the weekend before the launch and the airport was holding their pasta sauce at Heathrow Airport. They weren't allowing it through because they had not put a label on each bottle, um, which it was ultimately cleared up, but they were holding in. They were going to be at a conference in London like two days later, and they said that they were going to send it back. And so I, we happened to be together while this was happening, and they were freaking out that they weren't going to have their shipment. Uh, thank goodness they had given me a shipment that they were able to take that happened to be delivered while they were at the office visiting, like all this happened, you know, so that they were able to take what they had sent me and then they just resent it to me, you know, later. But it, you know, it's just kind of like the push against it is really surprising to me because I feel that we should be open to all food options and that's sustainable because not one, everyone follows just one diet, but we need to all know that there are options. And if we all follow our own personal calculated diet that we figure out with by listening to our body and advice and reading or whatever, then 
you know, that's a sustainable method of eating. This is edible, so let's do it. You know, to my friend, I tried to have a conversation. Well, insects are really, I think, helpful towards the vegan and vegetarian cause because it really is focused, as are vegans and vegetarians, on reducing the amount of traditional meat in the system. So even if, you know, he goes, life is life is life is life, Don. Life is life is life is life. I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, I can't talk to him right now. Does he have no friends who are, are non-vegan? Or is he uh, setting a higher standard for you because you've been a vegan? He, I think he's setting a higher standard for me because I was such an advocate for it. Uh-huh. And I, I just think that, you know, when you, you know, you just have to be careful now that I'm learning kind of how people are affected by the things that I'm putting out there that every, you know, I do it one way, but it doesn't, right. you know, when people feel like they've lost, I guess, someone who was on their side right. <laughs> or whatever, you know, like someone who was helping them, but has moved on or even any relationship where you change <laughs> and you have right. a new perspective. Yeah. So you have to leave some people behind right. that happened. And I was no longer that person. And I guess, on some level, I created a monster. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, he never, I guess, really appreciated your motivation for why you went vegan in the first place and how how the eating of bugs still honors your values. Well, yeah, and also that he's killing cockroaches every yeah, day. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, so, so which, which is better? You're so killing... I can't, I can't eat them, but they can kill them right. to keep them out of the restaurant right. or whatever. Kill them, but throw them away. Don't don't uh, use them for some purpose to sustain life. Okay, I get it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Chef Don, you've been very generous uh, with your time. Uh, how can people find out what you're up to? And I'll put uh, links to the bugging out videos that uh, I've seen on my show notes. But how can people follow and keep track of what you're doing? People can probably best follow everything at um, facebook.com slash chef pv c-h-e-s as in frank p as in paul v as in victor and i'm also on instagram as chef pv eats bugs that's c-h-e-f p as in paul v as in victor eats bugs and i can also be uh we're putting an indiegogo out soon so um that will be on the facebook page so go back to facebook for that and i'm actually loading up a new website next friday and that's going to be chef don pv.com t-h-e-f-d-o-n-p-v.com okay and i'll have uh, links to those as well on the show notes before I let you go, any parting words for the Foodcast audience? We are bringing bugs to schools across America this January and February 2017 on the Chef PV Bugging Out Tour. We have an Indiegogo campaign that's going to launch this Friday. So please look out for that and also nominate your schools for us to stop by. It has a list of all the cities we're doing on the first wave, but we hope to be able to get some support to do more. So that's very exciting. So look out for it. The Bugging Out with Chef PV Tour. And with that, Chef PV left me to my own devices. And I went on a bug-eating tour of my own. You'll hear about that next. We follow the flight. 
I don't know why she swallowed a fire. I know her no pain. Swallowed a spider that wriggled and jiggled and tickled inside her. She swallowed the spider to catch the fly. I don't know why she swallowed a fly. I know her no pain. Swallowed a bird. How absurd to swallow a bird. She swallowed the bird. Ah, I love those old camp songs. What got me was that swallowing the bird was the absurd part. I mean, she swallowed a dog and a cat for cripe's sake. Why is eating some asshole chicken absurd? She also swallowed a fly. I've never willingly eaten a bug. Not even at camp. I did have bug juice, though. It was just a generic sort of Kool-Aid, sugar, artificial color, and water. No bugs. But I knew the kitchen crew. I'm sure they added much worse. Looking forward, I'm about to eat some bugs, and you get to live vicariously through the experience. I followed Chef Peavy's advice and bought a random sample of edible insect products through Little Herds. I tried to get a cross sample of highly processed, which amounted to protein powder made from dried crickets, moderately processed, which ended up being several types of bugs in a dehydrated and spiced form, and then one lightly processed item, which I'm the most squeamish about. Let's get started. My first foray was with the cricket powder. I wanted to use something that wasn't shouting, I'm a bug, in my face. It'd be easy just to buy some bars or cricket chips. Yes, cricket chips. They're called chirps. But I wanted to actually work with whatever I was using. So I bought some powder and found a recipe on the internet for gluten-free cricket powder banana bread. It called for a quarter cup or 40 grams of cricket powder mixed with one and a quarter cups or 150 grams of gluten-free flour and three quarters a cup or 150 grams of sugar. When you consider the bananas and other ingredients, you can see the crickets are really a very small part of this recipe. Not much to get grossed out over. In fact, after posting pictures on Instagram of my work in progress, I got just as many comments about the other ingredients. Oh my gosh, Davy H, you use sugar. Oh, Davy H, gluten-free flour is nothing but junk carbs. Dudes, I'm making banana bread. For reasons too boring to explain, we had gluten-free flour around the house and I wanted to get rid of it. There are a million recipes on the web for cricket banana bread and this is the one I chose. It's not something I'm going to eat every day. Besides, whatever sugar or flour substitute you suggest in their place, I can easily shoot down for some other reason. In fact, I probably will in an upcoming episode. Banana bread isn't health food. Get over it. Although I admit, I did tinker with the recipe in other ways. I threw in half a cup of coffee and some cocoa powder just to give it a mocha kick. Sue me. We'll fast forward through the cooking and see how it went. I'm going to try my cricket banana bread with my cup of coffee. See what that tastes like. So here I go. Tastes like banana bread, doesn't surprise me based on the recipe. There's not really that much cricket powder in it. There's a bit of a taste on the end of the bite after I swallow. I'm not sure that's the cricket flour though. I'll have to test that out. It's not a bad taste, it's just not what I would normally expect with banana bread, but this is a strange recipe to me anyway. It's got the gluten-free flour. I added the coffee and the cocoa, and that's not it. So, I'll investigate. 
I did investigate. I tasted the powder straight from the container and it didn't have the off taste I was noticing. It had no flavor at all. Instead, it turned out that that off taste was from the gluten-free flour. Maybe those people who told me I should avoid gluten-free flour were right. Next, I tried adding the protein powder to my post-workout recovery shake, and that tasted normal. All in all, my take on cricket powder is that it's no big deal. I have a link to the recipe and my analysis of the nutrition of the banana bread in the show notes. In the end, the cricket powder doesn't hurt the banana bread, but it doesn't help much either. It only adds about a gram of protein per serving, and the rest of the nutrition, the healthy fats and the fiber inherent with crickets, they're diluted in the whole rest of the ingredients for the bread. And cricket powder is no cheaper than my regular whey protein. I guess that's how it'll be for as long as edible insects continue to be a novelty. My next experiment is with whole bugs. I start with the tasty snack from Oaxaca, Mexico. Shout out to my boy in Puerto Escondido. That treat is called chapulines. It's grasshoppers. Then I move on to mealworms and then crickets in their whole form. Now I'm going to try some chapulines, which I'm probably mispronouncing, but is a traditional Mexican snack of grasshoppers. And these are sour, spicy, salty grasshoppers. They couldn't pick a side. Sour, spicy, salty. They had to go all, with, all out and do all three. Why don't I go ahead and try it? It's crunchy. The grasshopper itself has no taste, but it is definitely sour, salty, and spicy. Let's have another. That's a handsome devil, isn't it? Sour, salty, spicy. That's all I taste. And in the bargain, I get, I don't know what, because there's no nutrition facts on them. Today I'm going to try out roasted mealworms. So, let's see what the wheat mealworms look like. I'm opening the bag. Roasted mealworms. Wonder what they taste like. So... You may see, if you're looking at a video, you might be seeing them wiggle, but that's just a optical illusion, okay? And you know what they look like? They look like your all-brand flakes. Maybe a little bit thinner, but that's what they look like. So next time you see all-brand flakes, you might be eating mealworms. And these are roasted mealworms. They have no special flavoring. I just pick up these mealworms and they crumble. And now I'm going to try a handful. Yeah, they have absolutely no taste. They're crispy. And they taste a little bit, they taste a little bit like all brand too. You better be careful. Roasted mealworms. Now a lot of people don't think mealworms are bugs because they're worms and worms aren't bugs. But mealworms are actually uh, the larval stage of a beetle. So stew on that a little bit. They are bugs, I guess. They're like veal is to beef. Mealworms are to insects. So those are mealworms. Tried those. Wonder what's on the plate tomorrow.
This time I'm going for whole crickets that are cooked somehow and again no nutrition information. This product is manufactured and packaged in a facility which may also include processing of milk, wheat, soy, eggs, tree nuts, fish, crustaceans, shellfish, and peanuts. So tree nuts and peanuts. And so I have three different versions of this. I have honey mustard crickets, curry crickets, and smoky barbecue crickets because just plain barbecue wouldn't cut it for a cricket. It's got to be smoky barbecue. So first I'm going to try honey mustard crickets. They are ugly looking creatures. That is a whole cricket. And now let me taste one. Tastes like absolutely nothing. I'm going to taste two more and see if that gives me any flavor. Crunchy, no flavor. See if curry's any better. These are ugly. These guys are ugly. No flavor. Maybe a little bit of curry. And smoky barbecue. Oh, yuck. I poured out a whole mess of them. I don't taste any difference. So crickets, they look gross. They taste like nothing. I'm disappointed only in that I was looking forward to mixing and matching flavors and seeing if I could have like a curry barbecue or something and it makes no difference. They all taste the same. So that was a major disappointment. So after leaving my bug tasting experiments to the snack food industry, I thought it was time to take my exploration as someone who knew the art of fine bug cooking cuisine. Unfortunately, Chef PV is up in Brooklyn and I'm down here in the DMV. So I did a search for restaurants that may intentionally serve insects. It turns out that the D.C. area was on the forefront of this movement at one time. In 1994, there was a place on East Street called the Insect Club. The Insect Club was famous for its zesty mealworm chimichangas, cricket burgers, and cricket peanut brittle. Sadly, they were no longer in business. Who'd have thought that a restaurant called the Insect Club would have trouble finding customers? But I still had a savior. World-renowned chef Jose Andres, who's best known for his ongoing court fight with our president-elect, serves Chapolines tacos at his Mexican-themed restaurant, Oyamel. I'll be right over. By the way, pardon the background noise you're about to hear. Apparently, I wasn't the only one who had a hankering for grasshopper that day. Yeah, I'll have the grasshopper taco, the tongue taco, and the goat taco, and a side of beans, please. Thanks. Grasshopper, tongue, and goat. Oh my! Goat and beef tongue aren't usually on my palate, but when you're ordering a grasshopper taco, goat and beef tongue don't really seem that weird anymore. Okay, so my tacos are here, and I've got my chipolinos, or grasshopper taco that I'm about to bite. Grasshoppers are really chopped up, so they're not even whole. It's very good. It's very good. I'm sure it's all the sauce, but got a nice little kick to it. Nothing that I'd describe as an off taste. This is the best insect preparation in this whole experiment. I've eaten at a lot of Jose Andres restaurants, and he can make anything taste good, including grasshopper, beef tongue, and goat. One thing that's getting to me, though, is this price thing. Once again, a grasshopper taco is more expensive than brisket or pork shoulder. How are you going to get people to eat insects when they're more expensive? But now we're going to move on to my last experiment. 
This time, it's a scorpion. And now for the last in my bug tasting experiment, a dessert scorpion. Not a desert scorpion, mind you, but a dessert scorpion. Although they may be one in the same. Mmm. Da 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 Okay, I'm taking a bite. It's like toffee. No flavor. I'm sorry, I just did not have the cojones to try a real full scorpion. So this is a real scorpion, but it's covered in chocolate and it doesn't taste like anything. I'm not ready to go full scorpion yet. Tastes like a Heath bar. Here's the poison tail. And it's all gone. And thankfully, I'm done with this experiment. And there you have it. What did we learn from this episode? There are some compelling reasons to add bugs to your plate. You may not need to now, but someday it may be your best choice. And Chef Peavy is right. I approached this episode with morbid curiosity. The ick factor was definitely there, and the best way to get over the ick factor is exposure. The biggest problem I see with edible insects right now is the price. As long as commercial versions remain more expensive than a Big Mac, people are only going to choose bugs for dinner for their shock value. But there's a way around that price thing. Grow your own. It beats Soylent. Meanwhile, to my bozo brothers who never awarded me a gross man, do I qualify yet? I include tons of great resources on the show notes. Recipes, videos of the experiments, ways to follow Chef Peavy, and so on. Thanks to Chef Peavy for agreeing to come on this humble little show. If you enjoy the show and want it to continue to draw great guests like The Good Chef, there are a hillion ways to help support it. You may not be familiar with the technical term hahillion, but I know some of you are. For those of you who aren't, one hahillion is equal to several crap loads. But here's how you can help. You can subscribe, review, and share the show. You can comment on social media on the KarmaSenseWellness.com show notes page. You can make suggestions for upcoming shows. You can buy a copy of the Karma Sense Eating Plan. You can subscribe to my newsletter or download the totally awesome Coffee Lovers ABC's infographic at karmasensewellness.com slash blog. Or talk to me about coaching opportunities. My clients have lost weight, improved their sleep, and reduced stress due to financial and other issues thanks to our partnership. That's enough pitching for now. Until next time, remember what your old pal Jerry Garcia always says. Well, a bull 
frog sitting on a linear pad, looking up at the sky. The lily pad broke and the frog fell in, he got a quarter all in his eyeball. There ain't no bugs on me, there ain't no bugs on me. There may be bugs on some of you mugs, but there ain't no bugs on me. Mosquito, he fly high. Mosquito, he fly low. Old mosquito, man. 